0: The father was talking to his little boy, he was telling him about the facts of life, and so about halfway through this explanation, you could see the look of shock and surprise on the little guy's face. Oh, that's how all this works? So about halfway through the conversation, the boy grabbed his father's arm and he pulled him down close so he could whisper in his ear, and he said, Dad, do you think God knows about this? (laughs) Yes, he does. In fact, it was all his idea. Get this, he intentionally made us this way. You see, God wanted the husband and wife to be able to communicate, to communicate affection and trust and loyalty to each other. And to do that not just verbally, because sometimes words are not enough. So God designed us in such a way that now two people in a marriage relationship, two people could become so intimate and so Trusting and so affectionate and so loyal that in a physical way they literally become one flesh. And this experience was designed by God to be so pleasurable and so memorable that the husband and wife would want to do this again and again and again so that they could enhance and affirm the unity and harmony that they enjoy as a married couple. Sex is a gift from God, a beautiful gift that he has given to the husband and wife so that they can celebrate this life that they share together. Yet too many times, too many people, when they talk about this topic, they leave out this idea of celebration. There's a verse in the Bible that many of us never see because it's found back in the Old Testament. And unfortunately, that's a part of the Bible that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time reading. And I understand there are parts of the Old Testament that are kind of difficult to read. And yet when we skip that part of scripture, we miss out on a lot of the wonderful things that God wanted to be able to share with us. And one of those precious truths that he teaches back there is this idea of celebration. Again and again, you hear hear God talking to the Israelites about all these feasts and festivals that he wants them to be sure to celebrate. How God will tell his people, you just take the the next seven days and put everything else on hold. I just want you to spend this whole week in a fun-filled, exciting atmosphere where you just celebrate all the glorious things that your God has done for you. And God commands this because he knows that act of celebration will help to cement and just really glue together the relationship that he had with his people. Well, in the midst of all these commands about celebration, God also gave a command to the husband and wife. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse five, it says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is free to just stay at home and he is to stay at home so he can learn how to bring happiness to the wife that he has married. And all the men in the room are thinking, Abba, Abba, And you should be thinking that. Don't you love God's plan? I mean, here, he's not talking about a week-long honeymoon or 10 days down in Aruba. God wanted the husband and wife early in the marriage to take an entire year so that they could learn, and it is a learning process, so they could learn how to bring happiness to each other and bring that happiness Not just in the kitchen where they eat, not just in the living room where they talk, and not just out there in the fields where they work, but so they could learn how to bring that happiness to each other in the bedroom, too. You see, in the eyes of God, sex is not an instinct or some mechanical act or a business transaction where two people simply come together to procreate and bring kids into the world. No, it is so much more than that. God wants romance. In fact, that's one of the biggest differences between human beings and animals. Of all the creatures on planet Earth, only humans have been designed by God for face-to-face mating. I mean, the animals, generally speaking, it's front to back, but God wanted something different for the husband and wife. And this is so magnificent when you stop to think about this. I mean, so awesome in its beauty, when you consider how the Lord designed this. Almost all of the erogenous zones on the human anatomy are found on the front, so as to create a much greater potential for pleasure when the husband and wife are joined together in this whole body experience. In other words, the arms and hands have been perfectly positioned by the Lord so that this couple may caress and embrace and really be able to communicate to each other as they look into each other's eyes and they whisper into each other's ears. And the reason behind this whole design, God's trying to encourage romance. Listen, I I know there are many species of animals that go through these rituals where they let others know they're ready for sex. But there's nothing romantic about those rituals. Those animals are simply responding to an instinct. But human beings are different. Only humans were made to enjoy candlelight dinners and walks in the moon. Only human beings were made to enjoy love letters and poems and romantic music. Only human beings were made to enjoy back rubs and prolonged, passionate kissing. I want to pause for a moment. I I know I am walking a fine line this morning, and there are some of you who may already be very angry and upset with me, so listen carefully, because I want to explain where I'm coming from. I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. And back then, the most popular show on TV was I Love Lucy. The, the two main characters in that show were Lucy and Ricky, the, the Ricardos. And they were married. They were married not just on the show, they were married in real life. And yet, anytime you saw the two of them, Lucy and Ricky, anytime you saw the two of them in the bedroom, they were always sleeping in separate beds. The producers of that show wanted to keep those bedroom scenes as chaste and non-suggestive as possible. Well, a couple of years later, as the popularity of that show continued to grow, in real life, Lucy became pregnant with Rick, Lucy, Ricky and Lucy's first child. So, the writers of the, of the show decided to work that into the script for the new season, but in trying to work that into the script, they were not allowed to use the word pregnant. Because back there in the late 1950s, that word was considered to be too sexually explicit. So, the next year in the show, we're watching, and you heard him talk about how Lucy was now with child or Lucy was now expecting. That's the kind of generation I came from, and, and some of you did too. But that's not the kind of world that our grandchildren are living in right now. We're on the TV in the internet in almost any other environment. Nothing is left to the imagination anymore. So many years ago, it, while I was young in the ministry, I, and I began to see this shift, this change in our culture. I became very, very convicted. And I decided to preach a two-part sermon series on the topic of sex. I never got so much feedback in all my life. and Most of it was negative. Church people just livid with anger. Elders, this is not no hope. This is another church. The elders called me into a series of meetings where they raked me over the coals. They were ready to fire me. And the repeated complaint was this, that kind of talk does not belong in the church. Well, my response back then, as it would be today, then where does that talk belong? In the locker room at school, on the back of the bus as the kids are coming back from a week at band camp, or they're at the mall as the kids are standing in the store flipping through the pages of Playboy? No! I don't want my kids or your kids to hear and believe and buy into all these lies that our world is feeding them. I want them to know the truth, the beautiful truth of why God created this beautiful this awesome gift for us our topic today is lust what the book of proverbs has to say about lust but that's the negative side of the story uh, it, it, you know where where we take this desire that god has given to us a desire for intimacy and yet we try to fulfill that desire in ways that are wrong and inappropriate but what i want you to know today is there's a positive side to the story too and the positive side of lust is Now, again, I know you hear that word purity and a lot of you are thinking prudish. It's kind of like the experience Katy Perry had as a girl, Katy Perry is a very popular singer right now, a lot of people listen to her music, but what a lot of people don't know is Katy Perry was a preacher's kid. And as a girl, she was never allowed to eat Lucky Charms. That cereal was banned from the breakfast table because Katy was told that luck and charms are of the devil and we shouldn't have that evil stuff in our house. And so because of that experience and many other experiences like that, where she just heard the negative side of things, she ended up rejecting whatever faith she may have had. Well, a lot of us, we hear that word purity, we kind of think in the same kind of mode. Hey, we've got to be clean, so don't be dirty. So this is banned, and this is off limits, and you can't go here, and you can't do this, and you can't have that. And I get that. We need those boundaries. But that's just the negative part of the story. There's a positive side, too. When you look in God's word, and he talks about being pure, the emphasis is on this, here is something good. And because it's good, you have gotta make sure it doesn't wind up in the wrong place. To keep it good, it's gotta stay in the right place, so this good stuff remains something really, really good. You think about milk, milk in the right place, (laughs) that's good stuff. Milk in a glass, milk in a bowl of cereal, now it's something delightful, something that's gonna put a smile on your face but you spill the milk and it gets all over your pants and what does your mom say, it's dirty, gotta throw it in the wash. Or you think about jam, jam in the right place, mmm, that's good stuff. Put some jam on a piece of toast and you've got something tasty. But you let that jam get in your hair and, and your mom says, man, your hair's a mess, you gotta shampoo, gotta make it clean. Or you think about oil, you pour oil into the engine of your car and it will purr like a kitten. But you spill that oil in the living room carpet, and your wife's going to have a fit, and rightfully so. That doesn't belong on the carpet. See, when the Bible talks about being pure, it's not just warning us, don't let this become dirty. It's also teaching us, hey, here is something good. And in order for it to remain good, it's got to stay in the right place. Let me give you one more example, and then we'll get to the scripture I want us to talk about today. In the book of James, the brother of Jesus, James, he says, come near to God so that he can come near to you. But James says in order for that to happen, in order for us to get really close to the Lord and allow him the privilege to get really close to us so we have this awesome union with the Lord, James says you gotta purify your heart. Now the word that he's using, William Barclay says the word that James uses there, to purify, was the word used in the ancient world to describe an army. An army that had been purged of all the soldiers who were cowardly, weak, and unable to uh, fight. And once that purge had happened, once all they had been removed, now what you're left with is a pure army in the sense that now every one of the men are trained, dedicated soldiers. They're ready for battle. Or sometimes in the ancient world, that word purify was used by doctors. is that we declare their patient, they're cured, they're healed, meaning all sickness, all illness, all disease has now been removed from the body. They're healthy again, able to get back on their feet. They're strong again. They're ready to go to work. What James is saying is, hey, we've got something awesome here, a life with God. Don't let anything spoil this. Anything wrong, bad, inappropriate that doesn't fit, get it out of the way so we can enjoy something good, so we can enjoy this glorious relationship with the Lord. I believe that's the lesson that's being taught in this proverb I want us to look at today. So take a look at this, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. It says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk in hot coals without his feet being scorched? God's using this image of fire. Why? Well, if you'll carefully consider the context, and that's why we put this in the bulletin, Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7, just kind of slowly read through there and see what God is discussing. He's using this image of fire to describe the sexual desire, a desire that is exceedingly strong and, and very, very intense. But God says, keep that fire in the fireplace. Keep that desire in a marriage relationship, and wow, you've got something wonderful. In fact, The Apostle Paul will teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that both the husband and the wife have have a responsibility to keep that fire going. Stoke that fire. Build that desire. Make it as hot as you can. But God is also warning us here. You let the fire get out of the fireplace and your house will burn down. Your relationship will be destroyed. Do you understand when God's talking about this fire, this desire that we have, he is describing something sacred. And that's why it's got to be guarded and protected and handled with great care. Do you remember the very beginning, Adam and Eve? You remember back there how God described this experience? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, he said, And a man will leave his father and mother, and he will cleave to her, be united to his wife, and together they become one flesh. And what God is describing there is a covenant-making ceremony. Seeing God's perfect plan, here's what he intended. On that first night, after they've officially become husband and wife, on that first night, the virgin husband and his virgin wife will physically and literally become one flesh. And often what will happen on that very first encounter is he enters her, she sheds blood. Well, if you know your Bible, you recall whether it's God making a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 or Jesus talking about the new covenant that he would establish for us on the cross in order for God to enter into this sacred union with us, to enter into this new and beautiful life with us, blood had to be shed. So what I'm trying to emphasize is what makes this physical encounter between the husband and wife something so special and so sacred is a covenant is being sealed And that's why I believe that when God created this experience for us, this moment of physical intimacy, which the husband and wife would share together on many, many occasions, he wanted that moment of intimacy to be filled with pleasure. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that emphasize this, but I'll give you just one example. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 19. The very last part of that verse, it says, and let the husband be captivated with her love. And that word, captivated, literally means intoxicated. <laughs> it's a Hebrew word, sugah. And, and when it's used in a negative way, it describes somebody who's drunk, they've lost control of their senses, they've, they've lost touch with reality, the mind and body is now under the influence of alcohol. But sometimes, like in this proverb, this Hebrew word shugah is used in a positive way and it's describing an out-of-body kind of experience. I mean, you talk about an athlete. Boy, he was in the zone tonight. Meaning what? It's like he's from another planet. His game, his skill, so elevated above everybody else in that court or that field. I mean, we didn't even think that was humanly possible until we saw him do that. Wow, he's like of another world. Or you talk about getting lost in the book because the story you're reading is so absorbing. Or you immerse yourself in this hobby that you have and and you get so caught up in the task. Or you're having such a good time that you literally lose track of time. You're not even aware of your surroundings anymore. It's like you've stepped into another world. Well, that's the kind of exciting, breathtaking glory that God wants the husband and wife to experience whenever they renew their covenant in that physical act of becoming one flesh. And that's why here in Proverbs chapter 6, God describes this moment of intimacy like a fire. You keep the fire in the fireplace, and you are going to experience all kinds of warmth and happiness. But you let that fire get out of the fireplace, and it will ruin and destroy your life. Do you remember the day of your wedding? When you first saw your bride... Walking down the aisle. And do you remember how you you nearly lost your breath as you saw her in all of her glory. Marching down that aisle so that she could give herself to you. Wow. In that particular moment, nobody else existed. (laughs) No other woman came to mind. Everybody else in that room, they were lost in the background. Because you had eyes for her and her alone. Over the years, I've performed a lot of weddings, and I've had the privilege to stand next to a lot of men at that moment. And many times, I've watched these big, strong men just literally break down and start to cry. And you might think to yourself, well, that's kind of unmanly. No. You've got to understand, at that moment, that man is so captivated and so intoxicated with the beauty and glory of his bride, it's impossible for him to hold back his emotions, because this is a a once-in-a-lifetime. Experience Well, what God's trying to teach in Proverbs chapter 6 is it shouldn't be a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. That should become a daily reality. Let the fire of your love for her and the fire of her love for you, let that fire continue to burn for years and years to come. But in order for that to happen, keep the fire in the fireplace. Keep that desire, that love that you have for one another in that very special and unique covenant that God designed for you and your spouse.